Uh, but as this week, uh, as we come to Luke chapter 9 is, is the passage we're looking at. This is kind of a turning point in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is a, uh, is a two-part series, which I haven't mentioned much, but Luke wrote a second book called Acts, and where, uh, which is basically the sequel to this Gospel. And um, in many ways, Luke is kind of where uh, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the mission that they're going to do in, in Acts. So, sorry, I'm getting distracted. Uh, if you're not, uh, I'm okay. Uh, and so, uh, this passage in many ways represents kind of a turning point in Luke because this is finally where... Uh, Jesus sends his disciples out to start doing some of the missions. Kind of, uh, it's kind of like an internship. So, uh, let's read together uh, Luke chapter nine, verses one to seventeen. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, "Take nothing for your journey, no staff." nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had any need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord, and it's for our good. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would be our teacher now uh, to help us to focus our hearts and minds on what you have to teach us. I pray that you'd be with me uh, as I teach. Give us your spirit, uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Send us your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as some of you know, just about a year ago, I finished about a three-year seminary training in St. Louis at Covenant Theological Seminary. And uh, one of the things that happens, if you're a young uh, young guy, you want to be a pastor, you want to 
get up in front and teach people about the Bible. Uh, the first class that they have at Covenant Seminary is called Covenant Theology. It's basically a class to uh, humble you, uh, n- destroy whatever you have, think you have built up, and uh, so that they can build you up from a new foundation. So uh, it's somewhat of a, a humbling class. If you ask a stupid question, uh, they make sure to tell you that it was a stupid question. And uh, so, but it turns out that as a result, <laughs> this class was a light, really a life-changing experience for me. And uh, one of the reasons uh, that this class was so life-changing, there were a number of things that were especially formative for me, but there was one class where the professor was teaching us about Genesis chapter 12. Now, if you don't know what's in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12 is about when God, uh, uh, after he made the world, and there's the world is falling apart, the world's broken and sinful, uh, God goes to a man named Abraham, who was an idol worshiper in Mesopotamia. And God goes to Abraham and he says, listen, I want you to leave your family, leave your, your lands, leave your kindred, and I want to, you to go to a land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless you and make a great nation out of you. And basically, uh, what God was doing to Abraham is he was saving him. He was pulling him out of idol worship, and he was beginning a relationship with uh, Abraham. And he's choosing Abraham. He's, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to transform your life. And I'm going to make a nation out of you that's going to be different than all the other nations. And um, then, after God said that, he said something amazing to Abraham. And this was the thing. This little phrase was really life-changing to me in this whole course. Was that God says to Abraham, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a, na- a great nation out of you. So that you will be a blessing. I'm going, to make, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. That's the whole purpose. You know, whoever, uh, whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. Whoever dis- if someone dishonors you, I'll dishonor you, dishonor, or curse them. And in you, all the families of the earth will find blessing. You see what he's saying? Is he's, uh, God is, in Abraham, is beginning a community. Uh, in the Old Testament, is Israel. In the New Testament, is the church. It's like us. And he says, you're going to be my special people. I'm going to love you. I'm going to, um, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to pour myself into you. I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you. But it's not just for you. This is way back in the beginning of the Bible. God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and choose you. But it's not just for you. It's for the world. It's for everyone else. And so what that means is that... Uh, um, what that opened my eyes to is that um, basically the whole Bible, the rest of the Bible, as you read through the Bible, what's happening in the Bible is that God is choosing a people for himself. He's choosing a community. He's drawing together a community that is going to be the conduit of his love and blessing to the rest of the world. And so, yes, does he have special love, special blessing on his people? Yes, but it's not just for their sake. It's for the sake of everyone else. And so, uh, and what we have in this passage in Luke's gospel, you know, we've been reading through Luke, and what's happened is uh, Jesus chooses these disciples, chooses people to come that he's going to love, he's going to walk with, they're going to be his friends, he's going to teach them, he's going to pour into them. And all along he's been pouring into them, he's being an example to them. And then this is what it says in verse 2 of chapter 9. And he sent them out. Jesus took his disciples, he's been pouring into them, and now he's sending them out. To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He's chosen them and loved them. And then he says, now you've got to go. Now you've got a mission to do. Now, the reason why this is important for us is because we're, uh, you know, we're a young church. 
And we have to ask the question, why is this church here? Why has God started this community? Why, why is he bringing, bringing us together? Is it, uh, is it because God loves us? Yes. Yes, it's because God loves us. Is it because God wants us to have a spiritual family? Yes. He wants, absolutely wants us to have a spiritual family. But, uh, but what Genesis 12 and what Luke 9 are going to show us is that God is loving us not just for our sake, but for the sake of others. God doesn't just want to love the Christians in Bellingham, but he wants to love Bellingham as a whole. And uh, so that causes us to ask seriously, what is our mission here as a church? Even though we're small, we're, grow, we're growing, we're a young church. What is our mission? Why are we here? And of course, the, the mission is to extend Jesus' mission. We're to continue what Jesus was doing. And so uh, in this passage, we're going to explore kind of three aspects of that mission and what it looks like. These are the three headings that we're going to Jesus' mission is about both word and deed. Jesus' mission is about saying something and doing something. Second, Jesus' mission is about extending God's family. And third, Jesus' mission is about God's power working with small resources. Jesus' mission is about God's power working with small resources. So first... Let me. Oh, that's coffee. I'll drink this. First, uh, Jesus' mission is about both word and deed. So, one of the difficulties with studying the Bible the way we do in this church, you know, we come and we look at one passage at a time, you know, one little episode, and it's kind of we're focusing on one tree at a time, and in in many ways, we lose the sense of the whole. the whole forest, what do you call it? The whole wood, right? So we're looking, we, we miss the forest for the trees. We're looking at, at each individual tree so carefully. And one of the things that, uh, if we had been reading through Luke as a whole, what we would have seen is, is this rhythm to Jesus' ministry of teaching and healing. Caring for people's souls and then caring for their bodies. This kind of rhythm. So if you, you go to uh, Luke chapter 4, he gives a sermon in his hometown. Then Luke chapter 5, uh, oh, Linda, thank you so much. You are awesome. Um, uh, Luke chapter 5, uh, he uh, heals a, a leper and a paralytic. Luke chapter 6, he gives a, a, a sermon on the plane about loving, loving your enemies and uh, don't judge and build your house on the rock. And then Luke chapter 7, he raises a widow's son and he forgives a sexually immoral woman. And, um, and then Luke chapter 8, he's teaching again, doing the parable of the sower. And so there's this, as you go through, it's back and forth, back and forth of word and deed, word and deed. And so uh, now as we come to, uh, to chapter 9... Jesus is sending out his apostles on their first mission. This is kind of like an internship, right? So here's his disciples. Okay, I'm going to send you out. We're going to see what you can do. Come back. We'll talk it over. And this is a trial run before they have their big mission in Acts. And this is what it says in verse 6. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. There were two parts to their mission, proclaiming proclaiming the word... And healing, indeed. Okay, so it's just like Jesus. Now, let me just say a couple things about this. First, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on to say that we as a church need to be a word and deed church. Okay, that's because we're commanded to by Jesus. We have to be that. Um, but, you know, you might ask, okay, well, I'm looking at this. They're going out and doing miraculous healings. So is that, is that what we're supposed to do? Go out, let's go out in Bellingham and let's do miraculous healings. Um, and... 
The answer to that, I'm going to say no. We're not supposed to do that. Why? Well, for one, does God still heal people today? Yes. 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 (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You hear about it all the time. People were praying and the doctor says their cancer was there and it's gone. I don't know what happened to it. It's happening all the time. And so, um, of course, we should be praying for people that God would be healing them. Um, But what we have here is it says uh, says in verse 1 that Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, why does Jesus give them that kind of authority um, to do that? Well, you know, they're going out into a place, and they're about to go proclaim the gospel and say, oh, God's Messiah is here. He's like the king of the whole earth. He's God incarnate. And you should repent and believe in him. What are people going to say? No. Prove it. Why? Prove it. How, why should I believe you? Prove it. Uh, I, why should we believe you? And so uh, they're given a power and authority to prove that God, uh, God, that Jesus is the one. And so actually it says that throughout the New Testament that the apostles uh, did signs and wonders uh, to, to confirm their testimony. Okay? Um, so that's why I think often, you know, when you hear about missionaries going to other new tribes and there's all these people being healed and miraculous things happening, you say, why doesn't that happen here so much? Why is that happening over there? It's because they're going to a new people. They have no reason, they've never even heard of Jesus. They're, they're, they have no credibility there. And so, uh, so there's a different kind of power that's given to these apostles. Now, I mean, even if you might say, well, that Whatcom County is only 8% Christian. People don't believe. There's no credibility for Jesus in a place like Whatcom County, right? Why don't we, we need miracles here, too. But if you go to an average person in Whatcom County, you say, who is the most influential, influential human who's ever lived? Who's made the biggest dent on human history? No matter if they have even know a little bit about history, if Jesus is not the top person, they say, "Yeah, Jesus Christ is probably the most influential." If he's not the top, he's probably in the top three. So they know Jesus is legit. He's someone who needs to be listened to, right? But it's it's more that their hearts are not open to him, and so uh, God's not just. They don't need that credibility. They don't need to say Jesus is someone. Okay, so so. Um, is it our mission to do miraculous healings throughout Bellingham? Well, to pray for God's miracles, absolutely. But that's not our prime mission. But second, Jesus does call us to care for people's physical needs in Bellingham. And that's really what the healing ministry, that's what Jesus' healing ministry is, is caring for people's uh, physical needs. This is what Jesus says. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's when we care for people's physical needs and do physical good deeds that, that, that still is confirming the message. And so let me, uh, I'm just going to give you a few scriptures uh, that say this, that physically caring for the needy, for the poor is, is essential to our ministry. This is from Acts chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his, was his own. But they had everything in common. There was no needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Sacrificially giving for the physical needs of each other. This is, uh, this is from Galatians. So then, Galatians 6, So then, as we have opportunity... 
Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And one more, this is kind of famous from James chapter 1. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So Jesus himself and the rest of the Bible, I mean, this is just, I'm laying it out for you. What, is, what are we doing as a church? We have to be a word and deed church. And, uh, and uh, you know, um, first to one another, and then to Bellingham. And, uh, you know, we have, in, in some ways, uh, the word part, we're doing that a lot. We've been doing that a lot. Look, I'm teaching the Bible. We teach the Bible every week. We have home groups where we're studying the Bible. And I'll tell you that just recently, uh, you know, I was, <laughs> several weeks ago, I was coming to a time that, for the first time in really several years, where I, I felt a kind of fog about the future. Where are we going as a church? You know, I, I started planning this church three years, you know, right when I started seminary, three years before we had a our first church meeting at all. And, you know, that's kind of how I am. Let's set goals. Where are we going? What's, what's, what's the next step? And I think as just personally in that process over uh, three years and then finally coming, so we're starting Sunday morning worship and that was kind of a big milestone. We've gathered some people together and I've just been encouraged by you guys and who you are and your willingness to serve one another and to believe in this church. And I was beginning to see, say, what's the next step? What's the next step for us as a church? And uh, as I was praying through those things, I really came back to some of the original documents I had written about what is this church going to be about, and I and began thinking about our mission statement. And the mission statement of this church is this. The mission of Christ Church Bellingham is to proclaim the excellencies of God uh, throughout Bellingham and the world through worship, disciple-making, deeds of love, and church planting. Four ways that we're doing that. And you look at those four things. Worship, we've been doing that. Disciple making, we've, we've begun home groups. Uh, and studying the word together, teaching and admonishing one another, building relationships where we're growing to, for one another. And really the third thing, the next step for us is deeds of love. That's If we're going to be who Jesus intends us to be, we need to be serving this community. Now, interestingly, kind of providentially, simultaneously with that, someone introduced me to... Uh, the director of the Walk and Volunteer Center, and uh, I met with these people. And this is a, this is a nonprofit here in town who uh, has um, who knows many of the needs in Bellingham. And I was asking them, how does a church like us begin to serve uh, Bellingham? What are the needs? What what do, you, what do you recommend for us to do? And so through those conversations, we've begun to uh, plan that this summer. We're going to uh, do three Saturdays. We're calling it Bless Beham, Bless Beham Projects, um, where we're going to come together as a church in Saturday mornings for four hours and go out and serve uh, in people's homes, elderly, disabled folks who have needs in the community. And uh, this is going to be essential for the next step of our church. And uh, it's great that we have a walk-in volunteer center. This is a local community, uh, nonprofit that we can serve and help. And it's going to... Uh, and we're going to be helping uh, people in our community. So let me just tell you that um, right now you are a part of a uh, uh, a church that is a fetus. Um, you're you're a part of a church that is in its infancy, that is being shaped. And you know, our hope is that the, you know there are churches that are around for hundreds of years. There are churches that are centuries old. This could be a church that's around for centuries. 
And you're a part of shaping what is this church going to be about. And you know that you want to be a part of a church that is both committed to God's truth, committed to who Jesus is, but is also a church that's tangibly a blessing to this community, that Bellingham would say, we're glad that church is there. Well, don't we, we, want, we want Bellingham to say that. We're glad that that church is, is here serving us. And so this is, uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about this. The reason I'm telling you this, you're going to be hearing a lot about this from me over the next few months, because this is a big thing that, that I'm praying that we would be a part of, that we would serve together. It'll build our relationships with one another, and it's going to be essential uh, for uh, the future of our church. So that's, that's what we're doing. Word and deed ministry. That's what Jesus said. That's how Jesus sends his disciples out here, and that's how he's going to send us out. We need to shape uh, the DNA of our church. But secondly, um, I want to talk a little bit about how this passage uh, says that Jesus' mission is about extending God's family. Let me just get another sip of this. Now, according to Jesus, the reason that uh, the reason that it's important to have a ministry as a church that's both word, word and deed is because we are God's children. We're His family. This is how His family operates. God loves to give good gifts to people. There's a, a part in Matthew five in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they shall be called sons of God." Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, when Jesus talks about peace. His idea of peace is not just us, like, you're not fighting with one another. He has an Old Testament idea of peace, which is shalom. Shalom, it means a holistic health, the restoration of human life. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are restoring human life. Because uh, they shall be called sons of God. That's what we're doing. That's what what God's family does. And I think that that's actually what we have in this text. Uh, Look at verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Now what the twelve are saying here is uh, is that Jesus uh, should send out this crowd of 5,000 people and they should go find someone to be hospitable to them. When it says that uh, find lodging and get provisions, that's, that's what they're saying. Go find someone who will show hospitality to you. And you know, our sense, in our day, what is, when we think of hospitality, often what we think of is, is basically entertaining your friends. Like, I'm going uh, to set my table, and I'm going to throw a little party for my friends, and I'm going to cook something, show off some of my cooking skills. And that's what hospitality is, is, is basically entertaining. But in Jesus' day, that's not what it was. Hospitality was uh, letting someone become a part of your family. That's what hospitality is, is, is extending the benefits. This is what it's like to be a part of my family. And, uh, and I'm going to extend those benefits. That's what the provisions and the food are that, you, that the disciples are talking about. And so in this passage, um, the 12 are essentially telling, these, telling Jesus, these 5,000 should go out and they should go find a family somewhere. Go out into the villages and find a family. And what, when, when Jesus says, you give them something to eat verse 13. You give them something to eat. What he's saying is you are their family. Don't tell them to go find a family somewhere else. You are their family. 
And even when he says, you know, have them sit down in groups of 50, the, the Greek words there uh, for sitting down in these groups, it's really sitting down at tables, reclining at tables together. And so what he's saying is, okay, we're here in the desert. Let's just have a big family dinner here in the middle of the desert. And I, I, will, um, I will supply the food. And, um, and so the picture that the Bible is giving us is consistently is that we are brothers and sisters. That we are a family. Now, let me just tell you how radical that is. Uh, this is hard. I, I, I'm not saying that this is natural to be able to do this. But you think about your brothers and sisters, your, your biological brothers and sisters. You know, if, if you have a biological brother or sister who's uh, having a hard time, is uh, loses a job, has, is out of money, um, even if you're not that close, you know, you don't, the, the sparks, there's not the real friendship, kinship, but they're your brother and sister, what do you say? We're going to make this work, all right? We're your family, your blood, we're going to make this work, we're going to, we're going to figure out how to, get, how to get you through this. And what the Bible says radically, this was radical in their day, is that the church community is brothers and sisters. That's what that Acts text says, about having all things in common. You give them something to eat. Now, let me just tell you, this uh, sermon, this should be draining so far, this, uh, <laughs> this sermon, because what, what are we saying so far? Wow, I, okay, I got to bless Bellingham. We got to bless Bellingham. This is a city of 80,000 people. Whoa. Uh, I don't have energy for that. And then I have to bear the burdens of this whole community as brothers and sisters. That uh, I'm responsible for them. Listen, I'm, you know, I gotta, I'm trying to get my career going. I'm trying to put food on the table for my family. I'm trying to learn how to raise my kids. I hardly have energy to, you know, come to church and maybe do one other thing during church. And, and you're talking about 80,000 people and, and brothers and sisters in this church. How are you ever going to do that? So there's a key to this text, which is really our third point, which we're going to look at. So Jesus' mission is about word and deed, and it's about extending God's family. But the third point is that Jesus' mission is about God's power working with small resources. God's power working with small resources. Um, so, you know, I told you in the sermon, you know, uh, word and deed, extending God's family. And this picture of us kind of going out to a city of 80,000 and giving to one another and providing for one another is essentially what Jesus is saying in verse 13 uh, when he says, you give them something to eat. I mean, Jesus knows there's 5,000 people standing there. And he knows the disciples don't have anything. He knows that they just went on a mission, going to all the villages, preaching, and they were trying to get away. It says that they were trying to retreat somewhere to get some rest. And then he's saying, they're spent. And he says, you give these 5,000 people something to eat. He knows they have nothing, right? He knows they have no energy. He knows they have no resources. And uh, just as... uh, you know, Jesus is saying that to them. He's saying that to us. He's, saying, he's making this same high expectation for his disciples. He's making that for us. And our, the natural response to an expectation like that, that we have a mission, we need to bless one another and bless this city, is, is two responses. I can't do that. I don't have energy. I don't have time for that. I, I can't. No. I can't do it. Um. Or on the other hand, we say, okay, Jesus says I got to do it. Jesus says, I want to be a good Christian, so I'm going to either kill my family, I'm going to kill myself, trying to serve Bellingham and serve this community. Those are the two options. And do you see what's common about those two options? 
In both of those, we're trying to trust ourselves. We're trying to trust in our own resources. Whether we say, I'm not going to do it, or we say, I am going to do it. We're trusting in our own resources. And it, it, that's actually exactly the response that the disciples have in this text, right? Look at, uh, um, first they want to send the crowd away and say, no, send them out in the villages and find families somewhere else. We're not going to be their family. They've got to go find their family somewhere else. Send them out. Right? That's doing nothing. But second, it says in, uh, in verse uh, 13, we have no more, uh, was it first? Uh, yeah, verse 13. Um, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Go and buy food for all these people. What? You know, uh, 12 guys going and finding food in the desert for 5,000 people? Uh, it's impossible. They're exhausted. They don't have resources. And so what they're either saying, well, the two options, Jesus, or we can send them out and do nothing, or we can go buy food for 5,000 people. And Jesus shows them a third option. A third option. This is uh, what happens in this passage. The disciples give Jesus five loaves of bread and two fish. Just a little, I mean, five loaves of bread and two, and two fish. That's what they give him. And it says in verse 16, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. The third option is to give our small resources, the small, you know, small time, the small what we have, and give that to Jesus. Our five loaves and two fish, and to give those to Jesus. And the thing is, when we do that, when we give our small resources, we still get to pass the food out. You know, I, there's something that can tell me about this passage, is you're thinking, okay, there's 5,000 people that get in these groups of 50, and Jesus is, is taking these five loaves of bread and these two fish, and he's extending them, and the disciples get to go and pass it out to these hungry people who are out in the desert, and they get to hand it to him. I mean, you know, imagine what the joy in that. Coming up to these families, sitting on the ground, and just giving them all this food, and they're just feasting in the desert. And they got to see all their joy, and the people are saying, thank you so much, thank you. And they're like, ah... Uh, I only had five loaves of two bread, two fish, and Jesus expanded all this, but I get to see how he's expanding into all of you. And so they showed up. And um, and so doing uh, the mission of Jesus does not mean that we have to save Bellingham. We don't have to save each other. You can't save yourself. You don't, you don't have to save Bellingham. Jesus is a savior. And so what the mission for us is, is about taking our five loaves and two, and two fish and prayerfully giving them to Jesus and saying, expand these, multiply these. The, you know, the small, you know, listen, I know you guys, you guys got jobs, you've got families, you have uh, things, that, trials that you're working through, and you have a little energy and you say, I want, I want to give to Jesus. I want my life to be about Jesus. I have a little bit. And what I'm, what I'm saying is that Jesus says we need to give the five loaves and the two fish to him and prayerfully watch him, watch the power of God with our small resources. Your time is your resources, your energy is your resources, your money is your resources, and giving that to Jesus and watch him and believe. That's showing up. We're saying, Jesus, I'm going to show up a little bit. And I'll tell you what happens when you do that and you see Jesus expanding the five loaves and two fish two fish. You say, that was only a little bit. I didn't know you could even do anything with that, and he does. What are you going to do? You're going you're to want to give more sacrificially, not out of guilt, but out of joy. And that's what the power of God does. When we see the power of God, it stirs joy in us. 
And so this is, you know, I want to close with this by just saying, you know, when we, when God calls us to Himself, He requires that we only bring one thing to Him. That's Jesus. He says, you can't bring anything. You, you're, you have nothing to bring to me for, to be, for me to approve of you. Bring Jesus. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So when God calls us to Himself, He says, only bring Jesus. But when He sends us out, He says the same thing. Bring Jesus. That's all you need to bring, is to bring Jesus. And so, you know, I'm, I say these three points. Uh, Jesus' mission is about word and deed. Jesus' mission is about extending God's family. Jesus' mission is about uh, uh, the power of God and small resources. And the common thread in all that is that this is Jesus' mission, not ours. And we're joining in. We're, and, and the grace to us is that we get to be a part of it. Let's pray here. Our Father in Heaven, uh, we, we thank you that uh, Jesus is not just going out speaking to people, but that cares about the, the struggles that they have, um, the needs that they have, and even the people in Bellingham that, uh, that don't know you, uh, he cares about them as well. Lord, uh, you know our church, you know our frame. Would you uh, take our five loaves and two fish, and would you begin to send us out into Bellingham? And I pray, uh, I pray for these, uh, these Saturdays that are coming up in this summer. I pray that you would give us joy to come out and to serve, one, serve together with one another, to serve you, to pray for the city. And would you give us joy to do that? Would you give us strength to do that? And so I, I thank you for all who are here. Um, and uh, now as we give you this, this offering... We pray that this would be a, um, just a token of our five loaves and two, two fish, that you would use it and expand it for your kingdom. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.